Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for allowing us to be here tonight. We pray for those that are still on their way. We just thank you for safety, and Lord, that we can uh, investigate your word. We just ask for grace that we would learn more and be challenged to live for you tonight, that our time would be well spent, and Lord, that we would invest in eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, Luke chapter 13, kind of just have one more point under Jesus traveling and teaching here, Luke chapter 10, and as we said, it's... uh, Not quite a tag team, but uh, uh, more like a relay race as John had several chapters that no one else did. He now hands the baton to Luke, and uh, actually Luke 10 through uh, chapter 17 is pretty much, Luke is is our source for this information. And then uh, we're going to turn to John just for one little blip as as we're going to see that in this period, Jesus would have been at Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. That would have been uh, uh, late September, early October. Uh, he is leaves Jerusalem and goes north into the area called Perea. That's basically uh, what is the eastern bank of the Jordan River, what is now modern-day Jordan. Uh, and ministers there. He is going to come back in December. Uh, That's the Feast of Dedication, and as he's traveling, uh, this is the last uh, event that we have here. He is on his way back to Jerusalem for the Feast uh, of Dedication, which would have been the forerunner of our modern-day Feast of Hanukkah. This was something that was instituted by the Maccabees between the Old and the New Testament, the Temple had been violated by uh, the Ptolemy ruler Antiochus Epiphanes. He had taken a pig and had gathered its blood and poured it on the golden altar of incense in the temple. He wanted to desecrate the temple so that it would never be used again as in the Jewish worship. What he did was drove all of the Jewish people living in the area to near madness. And who lost? Antiochus Epiphanes did. And the temple was retaken. All of Antiochus Epiphanes' soldiers and men were driven out, and they relit the lamps. But they only had enough oil for one day. Yet the lamps burned for eight And that's where the Feast of Hanukkah came from. And God is not against doing miracles. Amen. And um, we have no evidence that the Maccabees were that righteous and holy of a people. Uh, They may have started out fairly close, but before it was all over, they had intermarried into Herod's family. And I mean, things just go down. But... Jesus attended that feast, and we're going to just, as he was teaching in the synagogues, we come here to verse 10 of chapter 13, we'll just pick up, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together 
and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work in them, therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then said he unto them, uh, then said he, unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in it. And again, whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leaven. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And so, here is our story. Jesus was in the synagogues. Why was he teaching in the synagogues? Because that's where the people gathered to hear the word of God. Much of our modern church service is very similar to what went on in the, in the synagogue. Some of it is very different. Of course, they did not preach and teach Jesus. That's all we do. Amen? But uh, Jesus was there. There was this woman, and people tried to make uh, quite a bit. If you ever tune into TBN, it says she had the spirit of infirmity. And later Jesus said that she was bound by the devil. Uh, I want to tell you that's talking about this woman's situation. Not all disease comes from the devil. Why was the man born blind in John chapter 9? So that Jesus could be glorified. So we have to be careful about taking one passage out of scripture. Can the devil make people sick? Oh yeah. But I'll tell you what. The devil gets blamed for a lot of stuff he doesn't do. All you have to do is stop obeying the Lord and you could make yourself awful sick. Amen? Uh, I mean, there's lots of passages in the Bible that teach us how we ought to take care of our body. And uh, we don't need to go crazy and, uh, you know, live on raw grains. And and, uh, somebody said, you need a 1,200-calorie diet and you can live to 112 well that sounds like a nice supper to me not not a diet amen uh uh the simple truth of the matter is uh excess in any situation is going to bring bad things 
you can exercise to death. Many have. Of course, I'll never have that problem. Amen? But, uh, and you can unexercise yourself to death too. So, I mean, there's a lot that needs to be done here. But Jesus was in the synagogue. He was teaching. He saw this woman there who had this infirmity. And he healed her on the Sabbath. Now, I think Jesus knew what he was going to get when he did that. The ruler of the synagogue is looking here and saying, this is a distraction from the teaching of God's word. This is labor that is done. And Jesus rebuked the ruler of the synagogue. I mean, to call the ruler of a synagogue a hypocrite publicly on the day when people came to the synagogue was, I mean, this was a pretty serious charge. And yet when it was all done, what's it say? All of his adversaries were ashamed. It's almost like somebody made sure this woman made it into the synagogue and hoped that Jesus would pay attention to her as they had done with the man with the withered hand and the woman who was taken in adultery and many of the other things lying in wait and Jesus has the answer for those that attack you. Do good. Jesus always just did good. What could be better than to heal this woman? Now, don't you try that at home, amen? Uh, That's power that belonged to Jesus. He did not give that power to his apostles. He did not give it to you. Though the apostles would do miracles... The greatest miracle that you can face today is simple obedience to the word of God. But that doesn't sound miraculous. Do try this at home. How many of you have struggled to try to keep God's word and live the Christian life and it doesn't work? How many of you tried that? That's because you're trying it in human effort. You've got to do it in his effort, at his direction, and it will work. And by the way, it is a miracle when you believe and obey God's word because you've overcome yourself, the flesh, and the world. And uh, I love the opportunities that Jesus takes. And he talks about the kingdom of of heaven um, here and He says it's like a grain of mustard seed. He said you throw this little seed in the ground and a great big tree comes up. That's an amazing thing. It's an interesting study up until just a few, um, within the past 20 years, the largest Christian denomination in the United States was Baptist, by the way. Uh, It is now Catholic. And Islam is really trying to catch up. And most of the conversions or additions to other religions, interesting enough, is not conversion or proselyting. It is immigration is how these religions are growing in the United States. Check out the demographics. And uh, you need to be in prayer about those things. But the 
idea of just serving God and being um, honest and all of these things, as we look at people who call themselves Christians, most of true Bible Christian history is unrecorded. You know, I, I know people who get out their genealogies and, and say, I was baptized by Pastor so-and-so who is out of such-and-such such a church, who is out of such-and-such such a church, who is out of John the Baptist. Um, the only problem is those genealogies have gaps of over a thousand years on a couple of occasions. Now, I've seen churches go bad in my lifetime. I'm a little nervous about leaving a church go for a thousand years and saying it's still... most of the true Christian history is just like the growing of the tree in Jesus' parable. It's unseen. That's what he's talking about. We can watch a loaf of bread rise, but we really don't see the process. You'd have to have a microscope, and if you got it under a microscope the bread wouldn't rise because you wouldn't be looking at bread. You'd be looking just a teeny little piece of it. And this is what Jesus is teaching here in these parables. He's saying the kingdom of God is working, it is growing, it is going to have very small and insignificant beginnings, but it is going to spread and it is going to uh, go and be noticed all over the world. And let me tell you, it has been. And it is. And so we stop here and it says he was journeying toward Jerusalem. And uh, let's go now to John chapter 10. He's going to journey toward Jerusalem. He's going to attend the feast at Jerusalem. He's then going to go back into Galilee, come back through Samaria, and back to uh, Judea to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. He will then go back north and come back one more time. and, And almost Jesus was constantly moving during these last months. Uh, hardly in one place more than two or three days at a time as far as we can understand from the scripture. But we go to John 10 and verse 22, and it was at Jerusalem, the feast of dedication, and it was winter. That's how we know that this was Hanukkah. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt if thou be the Christ? Tell us plainly. Now, isn't it interesting that just a little while before, they accused Jesus of bearing witness of himself, and therefore his witness could not be true because he was talking about himself. And now they gather around him and they say, Bear witness of thyself. If you're truly the Christ, tell us. Well, how many times had Jesus already told them? I mean, there comes a point where you kind of just give up on telling somebody something that they really don't want to hear. 
But here's Jesus' response. Verse 25, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. How could you get any more clear than this? How could the, when it says the Jews, we're talking about the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the the religious leaders, we're not talking about all Jewish people, of course, it says that they return to Jesus, we're going to stone you for blasphemy because you, being a man, have made yourself God. I think they got the message. But they didn't want to believe it. And Jesus already told them, he says, you cannot believe it, you will not believe it, because you're not of my sheep. How do we know who Jesus' sheep are? Well, they listen to Jesus, amen? It says, they know my voice. Let me make sure I get it right. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You know, that is what it's about. You have got to listen. How do you know you're listening to Jesus? It's very simple. It is written down. Don't go looking for voices. Uh, My favorite one is if you hear voices coming from the closet, let your little brother out. Amen? Uh, The simple truth of the matter is if you can get tuned in to voices that God never intended you to listen to, If you want to get tuned in on God's frequency, read His Word. Read the Word of God. Open it up. Ask God to help you understand it. Jesus is standing in the temple, a place that is dedicated to the worship of God, the God of Abraham, the God of the Bible, the God of Moses. And yet... They say, if you be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I told you, but you didn't believe me because you're not my sheep. You don't hear me. I don't know you. And you're not going to follow me. Now, don't you think about right now, if there was any true heart 
desire to serve the God of the Bible that you'd fall down on your knees like the man did in Mark chapter 9 and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But you have to choose what you will believe. That's what Jesus is teaching here. He is using them as this example. And so immediately they try to stone Jesus. Jesus just simply slips out of the, the group there. He gives them this in, uh, oh, let's say, uh, verse 34. We'll just read it. Is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came... And the scripture cannot be broken. Say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe me not, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hands out of their hand, and went away beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him, and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. John, Jesus now retires from the city of Jerusalem back to the Jordan River, uh, and he is there where John was first baptizing, probably not far from Jericho. And we have, let's go back to Luke chapter 13. There's going to be, many people are believing on Jesus as he abides there, but he's going to be on the move again. Verse 24, or verse 23, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know ye, you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye that work iniquity. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And they came from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first. And there are first which shall be last. Now the last few verses of this chapter is interesting. And certain of the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, you better get on the move because Herod is going to kill you. They were warning Jesus about the dangers of Herod. 
This was the grandson, basically, of the man who killed the babies at Bethlehem. And things were bad. But here's what Jesus said. O Jerusalem, verse 34, which killeth the prophets and stoneth them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time cometh when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And so, Jesus ends his speech with a condemnation not of Herod, but of the Jewish people. He said, I would have gathered you as a hen doth her brood under her wings. Now, if you've not raised chickens, I never have. I've read stories about it. What the greatest danger that you have in raising chickens is chicken hawks. They fly overhead and they will swoop right down into the pen and grab the little chickens, the babies especially. You know what the mother hen does? She opens her wings and they all run underneath. And then they can't be seen by the hawk. That's what Jesus said he wanted to do. Also, they tell the story on the prairies. That when the prairie fire would come, the flames would rush through certain portions of land and just wipe every living thing out. And there were many stories of walking through the burned fields and seeing a prairie hen just burnt to a crisp. And it said one of the young men there, just for whatever sake, kicked the prairie hen over and her little chicks came out from underneath. She had protected them in the fire. Jesus said, I want to protect you but you wouldn't let me. Sometimes we go through things in life not because God is testing us, but because we refuse to let the Lord protect us. You know what? You don't have freedom of movement when you're under the wings. Uh, You don't have self-determination. You have to be still. You have to stay put. Maybe that's what he meant when he said he maketh us to lie down in green pastures sometimes. And the Lord wants us to follow him and to listen. But those who will not are going to face God's judgment. We come to Luke chapter 14. And... uh, Again, we have Jesus healing. Uh, Luke chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. Uh, All of these chapters are teaching that Jesus did. And it is interesting how many times the Pharisees will often use hospitality 
use things that are right to try to entrap the Savior. And uh, so we come down here to Luke chapter 14, verse 10. Uh, well, let's, I'm sorry, verse 1. And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And when they held their peace, he took him and healed him and let him go and answered them saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox falleth into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day. And they could not answer him again on these things. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee, And him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher, and then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For for whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted." Isn't it interesting that the chief trademark of false religion is still the exaltation of man? It is always taking certain people and lifting them up. Jesus said, listen, when you go, now they had a, a thing they did not have necessarily, especially in the smaller towns and villages, great banquet halls or catering halls or things like that. So what you would do is you would go to the house. And depending on who you were and your station, you know, in this day, everybody had a pedigree and the dogs ran loose. Today, the dogs have pedigrees and the people run loose. Uh, uh, I don't know which is better. Uh, But the simple truth is here, Jesus said, don't seek to exalt yourself. Take the lowest position that you can be moved up. And I'll tell you, I've been with many preachers. I've been with big shots. And you know what you feel like when you're in the presence of a big shot? Feel like a little shot. Amen? I mean, that's just the way it is. But I've been with some of the best-known preachers in, in our circles in this country. And you know what? the men that are really men of God don't make you feel like a little shot. You enjoy fellowship as equals because we're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? And uh, if you want to know why I fellowship with the preachers that I fellowship with, that's why. Is because they're following the example. We'll let God take care of who sits where. We'll just enjoy each other's fellowship and try to help one another serve Jesus till he comes. And uh, Jesus, again, was attacking the Pharisees at every turn because this is what their life was about. It was about being able to walk into a home 
and sit in the highest room and stay there. That was what they wanted. It was all position. It was all to receive the greetings in the marketplace, to have the titles after your name, to be looked at and to be honored by other people. And Jesus gives a story here, uh, a long story of the parable of the wedding feast. And, and we'll just have a few moments tonight to, to uh, review this thing, uh, summarize it. But it says that he, a king had a feast. He invited the people that should come. And it says that in verse uh, 18, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. Now what that means is they had had a meeting and they decided that they were going to disrespect the king by not showing up at his wedding feast. This was an insult. This was their way of of these people who were invited. This was their way of getting back. And here's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. You guys have gotten together And you decided that your traditions and your practice is much more important than God's word. And you, by mutual consent and agreement, have encouraged one another to refuse to attend what God has prepared for you. But the answer was, go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Yet God is not going to lower his standard because the guest list changed. Somebody shows up without a wedding garment. That person is escorted. Now this wedding garment, as far as we know, was not something you provided for yourself. It was something that the host provided for you to come. And not accepting that gift as you walked in the door, you would wash your feet, you would put on the wedding garment, you would be part of the, of the party, let's say, and the festivities here. Jesus said, take him and cast him with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are always pictures of eternal judgment. That guy did not lose his salvation, he never had it in the first place. And those that were bidden and didn't show up were destroyed. And then Jesus gives uh, a couple more uh, parables. He said, as the multitudes came to him, he gave gave, uh, lessons here on the cost of discipleship, starting in verse 26. And some of the hardest words in all of the scripture... If any man come to me, verse 26, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, there's several standard understandings of this verse uh, which are very confusing to me. 
the one is that your love for Jesus needs to be in comparison. If you were to compare your love for Jesus with your love for your wife, that there would be hatred in your love for your wife. I don't know how you do that. I really don't. I, I don't think that works because the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I think the key, and this again is a just summary fashion, we ought to take uh, uh, several, maybe even Sunday mornings and go through this verse. But it says, and his own life also. How do I hate my own life? By throwing it away by giving up on it, by actually not throwing it away, that was a poor choice of words, but by bringing it to Jesus and giving it completely to him. It is taking what I want to do with my life and my decisions and despising that, hating that, and embracing the decisions that Jesus wants to make with my life. Does that make sense? Now, let's apply that to family members. How many of you have a family member that you wish behaved differently toward you than they do? All hands up. Uh, how many people don't serve Jesus because they're afraid of offending a family member? You see, these are ways... This is what Jesus is meaning. Just like I surrender my own decisions, my own life, what I want to do, I literally throw that in the garbage can of life and I bring my life to Jesus and say, this is yours to do with what you want. That's how I hate my own life, right? What if you did that with your mother, your father, your wayward spouse? Uh, it'll help if you do it with your loving spouse. Because inside every human heart is a desire to get something. Isn't that true? That's what Jesus is getting at. I don't love my wife because she gives me things. And if I go to her expecting and demanding what happens, you have unmet expectations because nobody can do what you think about in your head. It's not possible. And so you have to hate that part and get rid of it so that you can love the person. Did I lose too many people there? Does that make sense? The cost of discipleship is giving up everything. And Jesus gives some examples here. He says, if you start building a tower and can't finish it, it's going to mock you and everybody that walks by is going to say, hey, he started building this building here and couldn't get it done. My wife and I drove past a, a building today here in Astoria that has sat there for Oh, my, it had to have been over 10 years. They just had the steel up right off Crescent Street there, just the first block south of Astoria Boulevard. I don't know how many of you saw it. It's like eight stories tall. It sat there for years. All of a sudden, they finished it last year, I think, or the year before. 
Uh, it's an amazing thing. Jesus said, if you can't finish it, don't start it. If you're going to fight a battle, you better make sure that you can meet the army that's coming. If not, surrender before you fight the war. It doesn't make sense to fight a war just to lose it. And it says in verse 34, salt is good. But if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Salt is a good thing. I found out that you can even use salt, certain types of salt, especially like Epsom salts for fertilizer in certain occasions. But I'll tell you what, if water has gotten into the salt and it's all cankered up and it no longer tastes like salt, it's not even worth the trip to the garbage pile. You just throw it out on the ground and it makes the ground harder. That's basically what they're saying. Christians, we better be careful. There is nothing more worthless in this world than a Christian who doesn't want to serve Christ. Nothing more worthless than that. Nothing that hinders more people. Nothing that makes more trouble. Because you can't be happy in the world, you can't be happy in church. You're not happy anywhere. You can't get along with yourself if you can't get along with God, let me tell you. You're miserable everywhere. The only thing you're good for is making the ground hard. And Jesus warns us against this. Now, I'm going to attempt just to cover the parables very quickly here and the stories that are here. In fact, no, I'm not. Or we'll just stop right there. Uh, John chapter, I mean, John, Luke chapter 15. We have the, the, the stories of lost things. Luke chapter 16. We have the stories of misused and misguided lives. And then we come to chapter 17, and we have another talk by Jesus on offenses and on little faith and some very important things, and we'll just try to pick up there, Lord willing, next Thursday night. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we just ask, as we go over these things, that you would help us to see that there is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that that cost is so very low. It's giving up the old sinful life, the desires of our wicked, uh, sin-drenched heart, and just being obedient to you and your word. We ask you to work in our lives that we may serve you. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano play. And if you need to come, the altar is open.